Hello, nerdlings. This is Alima too. Uh, welcome to the Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. Before we get to today's episode, I wanted to let you know that we're talking about uh, mental health today. It's Mental Health Awareness Month, and we wanted to uh, dedicate an episode to that. So today we'll be talking about a lot of different topics related to that. We're going to get into anxiety, depression. We will talk about suicide. Um, we'll talk about trauma. Um, if hearing about any of these topics might be difficult for you, you might want to press the pause button, come back next week when we'll be talking about Godzilla. But um, until then, we hope you enjoy this show. Um, and thank you for listening. Welcome to the Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. It's episode 18. We're talking mental health today. This is Ali Matu, and I'm joined by a couple of cool people today. I want to introduce my co-host, H.A. Conrad. How's it going, Conrad? It's going well, Ali. How are you? Doing pretty well. Let's introduce our special guest today. Uh, today, we are very lucky to have Josue Cardona from Geek Therapy Podcast and from geektherapy.com. Josue, welcome to the Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. Thanks for having me, guys. Very exciting. We're so happy to have a guest today. A new guest, not just Bill coming back two times, but we got a brand new person today. <laughs> nice. We do love Bill, but... Don't worry, he can't hear what we're saying. That's good. I'm glad he's he's out, out outside of the radius. So um, today we're talking about mental health. Um, it is mental health mental health awareness month, and um, we, uh, Jose, we're so happy to have you on because um, uh, geek therapy. It's it's really all about mental health, right? Uh, for the most part. Yeah, um, I, I am a therapist, so uh, especially how I use what I call geek therapy is totally about mental health. But there's a there's an overarching theme about just how geek culture can be really, really great and how it can help people in many different ways. And mental health is a huge component of that. And that's sort of how you and I met is um, we originally crossed paths on Twitter a little bit because we we both kept posting similar stuff like <laughs> there'd be a wave of geeky posts and then like mental health stuff and somehow um somehow our pads crossed and then we met at um san diego comic-con last year yeah it's surprising there's actually a a lot of uh, geeky therapists and mental health people and psychologists there's way more out there than people think and we kind of i think i think we're starting to get to that point where we all know each other i think so it's pretty cool yeah. and then and then when Conrad and I were talking about doing this episode and, and really um, integrating all the geekery with mental health, it just seemed like um, you were on the top of our wish list to have on uh, to the, for, for the show. So thanks for being on. Absolutely. So, I mean, this is um, a personal topic, definitely for me. And I wanted, um, you know, it I, it's hard to know where to even begin this topic, but um Geek culture and mental health is uh, very much tied together for me. And it wasn't something that I had um, kind of planned for that to happen, but it was kind of like that stuff was um, was kind of thrust upon me. So um, back when I started um, being more of a, I don't know, I, I guess, what are the three of us? Are we just like professional geeks? Um, what do you even call people who do this kind of stuff? I don't know. I guess like when we started being more geeky on the internet, 
whatever that's called. Like that was probably back in 2000, uh, 2012 is when I started my website. And um, I wanted to start the website with an article that I wrote about, um, it's called grown up Trekkie and how star Trek made me love, made me fall in love with psychology. And the whole story was about how my brother took me to go see star Trek six, the undiscovered country and how I didn't know anything about star Trek back then. And I saw this movie and it just, just changed my life where I saw this science fiction, optimistic view of the future. And I wanted to live there and I wanted to, um, I wanted to be in that world. And I then started consuming Star Trek The Next Generation, and it was always something that my brother and I did together. And um, Star Trek and the ideas of Star Trek about what it means to be human, what it means to be good or evil, um, how can we better ourselves as a species, all of these ideas were things that I was always kind of thinking about when I wasn't doing anything else. That's kind of where my mind drifted. And to make a long story short, when I was in college, I figured out that that's kind of what psychology is all about, that psychology has a science to answer these questions. So I started my website with this story. And the story at the heart of it is um, the story of how my brother introduced me to all of this stuff. And that is kind of what led me to do um, more of the geeky things I've done online and as I started to do more of that and started to go to comic cons and Jose, that's where you and I met and that's, uh, or that's where you and I met IRL. Um, it, the topic of my brother kept coming up because people kept asking me about the story. People kept asking me, how'd you get interested in star Trek? And I felt like I had this dark secret secret that I didn't want to share with anyone. And that's the, the secret. There was my brother died and he died of suicide and he died back in 2008. And it was a very, very painful thing for me to, to even think about, you know, this was at a time when even if I had a memory about my brother, I would try to compartmentalize it, get it rid of, out of my head, you know, because it was so painful for me to even think about that. I kind of thought about my life um, after my brother died in May of 2008, now about six years ago, um, that like it, 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 memories of him just got shut down at that point that I, I would not recall them. But the problem was here, well, there was a lot of problems with that where, you know, I would I would be outside in the environment and if someone even said something like, I want to, I want to shoot myself, I would get triggered and I would get anxious and my heart would start racing. And I would, I, I, I was so angry that it couldn't control my emotions anymore that I was complete. I felt completely out of control. And the, the problem here was the more I started being a geek on the internet, the more I couldn't avoid this. It was like a, a clashing of, of the universes here where, um, I started to think of my brother more because when I think about geeky things, it's my brother who introduced me to all of that. So a year ago is when I wrote um, and decided to write a story, a story called The Parallel Universe, where my brother lives. And that story is really about my struggle to um, move on after my brother died. And the the whole idea of the story where it starts up is how – Many times when I went to sleep and I was dreaming, I would dream that my brother's there and I would dream that nothing's changed. He never died. 
he actually, it was a big misunderstanding. He walks in the door and we start watching Star Trek or we start watching Battlestar Galactica or we start building a computer together. We do any of these geeky things that we used to. And then I wake up and every time I woke up, it, it felt like I lost him all over again. And that's where the story starts. And you guys, that story changed my life you know, absolutely changed my life because it was the reaction to that story was overwhelming. I got, um, to date, I've received thousands of messages in response to that story, thousands of people giving me their support and it, it destroyed the shame that I had. Um, and it made it easier for me to talk about these things. And here we are a year later. Um, I wanted to start off the show talking about that because, my geeky origins, my geeky life um, were tied to this thing that was so painful and so hard for me to deal with. And I really feel like it's the geek world and geek culture that helped me heal from this. It was the geek community. It was writing about these things that helped me to sort of um, move forward with my life. And since then, I feel like my brother has been more alive in my life and has been more in my thoughts and memories. And it's been so much more easier for me to talk about all the good and some of the more painful memories that I, that I have for him. So that's, that's where sort of the idea of this episode came from. Well, right. And I also met you, Ali, uh, when it was before you wrote this, but you had started to talk about your brother. Yeah. Um, and I met you probably when you were, you were just starting and, and we were relatively new acquaintances when you started talking about it. I think it was actually the first time we met Yep, that you yep. started talking about it. And it's been just so amazing and, um, gratifying to me to see how transforming this whole experience has been. And I, as a, as a friend of yours and having seen some of the comments that people left, on your blog, it was really, I, I can't, I know it sounds totally hokey, but I'll use the word heartwarming to see some of the comments that people left just very, just how touched they were by it mm. and what people found within that blog blog post. And I really just was amazed. I thought it was so courageous to write this, this blog post, but also just really, I think a testament to the geek community and how supportive they are. Mm-hmm. What I what I love about that article is how you took something like a concept that is really only familiar to people who are familiar with sci-fi and things like that, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> a parallel universe, right? And you took this this obviously you were suffering, right? It wasn't good, but then you're like, man, like you completely looked at it in a different way. Like, wow, like what? Well, maybe there is a parallel universe out there, and it's a lot better. And and that made you feel really good. Yeah. And sharing that story and showing people was. It was so great because it's a cool idea. It's, it's an amazing idea. But to be able to reframe it that way was just fantastic. And, and I'm sure that a lot of people saw that and said, wow, maybe I can maybe I can look at this, uh, something that's happening to me a little differently and and heal from it also. Well, you know, what's what's so funny about that, Josue, and I, I think all the, the three of us and probably many of our listeners can identify with this is we just see the world through the lens of our geeky interests. Um, I, I think I shared on the previous episode um, when I was working at a hospital and I felt really weak and I was about to pass out. And I, I, I the thought in my head was a Dementor 
um, is about to kiss me and my my soul is going to get pulled out by the Dementor. That's what it felt like when I was struggling with um, when I was at that time in my life when I I would restrict the memories of my brother from the daytime and the only time he really appeared in my life was in my dreams it honestly felt like for those hours I was transported to a parallel universe it felt like all those episodes of Star Trek whether it's the mirror universe episodes whether it's you know that episode where uh, like Worf gets sent into these millions of different universes um, that's what it felt like and the only way I really felt like I could heal about it was um, or heal from this was was talk about it. And, um, you know, the geek, the geek community has been um, just so fantastic about this. And some of the messages, you know, people I had known um, for for years said, you know, I haven't told anyone else this, but my dad died of suicide. I, I tell people he died of a heart attack, but it was actually a suicide. Um, the day I published this, a coworker who's, um, who was actually, um, I had no, not a coworker. He was one, he was my boss. I had no idea, but, uh, this individual came up to me and said, I got two things to tell you. Number one, my brother took his own life about 30 years ago. I completely understand what you're going through. And you have taken a big step towards a long road of recovery. And I applaud you for that. Number two, I'm really into comic books. And let's also talk about that because I didn't know you're a geek and now you know I'm a geek. So we kind of bonded over that. And it, it, it's um, that that ignition of social support that came out of this um honestly guys i was i didn't expect that and that i think was probably half of what was so healing about this i think that when you when you you drop a dementor reference or you talk about a parallel universe you didn't have to explain that to me you didn't have to explain that to conrad right to people who read that they just got it immediately they understood exactly what you meant without having to go into a lot of detail it meant something to us and i think that for us it's really easy to do that with the geeky stuff but for the difficult issues, talking about suicide, talking about suicide attempts, talking about depression, mental health, it's a lot harder. So yeah. I, like, I applaud you for doing like, both things at one time, right? So it's like, yeah, this is how I feel and I'm not going to uh, you know, sugarcoat it or explain it any other way. This is, this is the way I saw it and this is how I felt and we understand exactly what you meant. And then at the same time, you were able to bring up this, these really important topics. And that's also like another common language that because we've never talked about it before, we can never relate to each other on that, on that level. Well, you know, what's interesting with that too, Josue, is there was, um, I think something that we've, we sometimes talk about Conrad on the show, but we haven't really dived into is some of the, um, some of the bullying and some of the teasing and the anxiety, um, that some sometimes people have about being geeks and um, part of my journey just as a geek has been about slowly becoming more comfortable being a geek out in public and wearing my geeky shirts and and cosplaying and things like that but with with this part of my life it was so much more intense than that because i was afraid of what what are people going to think of me that um a close loved one of mine did take their life. Um, how are people going to judge me? 
would would you want to go to a therapist whose whose brother died who who took their own life i used to have these anxious thoughts that people might not trust me because i wasn't able to quote save my own brother um and what i found and then i had the whole fear of if i share this what are potential new patients and current patients and clients of mine going to think and i got to tell you a year forward um I have heard a lot from, um, you know, I treat a lot of kids and teenagers and I do treat adults, but the bulk of my work is um, seeing people who are teenagers and, and, and younger children. I hear a lot from parents who Google me before seeing me for the first time. And at some point they tell me, hey, I got to let you know, I really appreciate you writing the story because I think you really captured what. Um, it is to feel anxiety and I feel like you get my kid because of this. So I appreciate it. And I've heard that a lot. Now there's probably people who might not have decided to see me because I wrote this. Um, I hope that's not the case, but honestly, I, I've, I haven't experienced any negative response or any negative comment. There was only one, but that was in response to a follow-up article I wrote about suicide prevention in Battlestar Galactica, and someone said, um, how dare you write about suicide? You don't know anything about it. And my response to that was, well, actually, um, I do know a few things about this personally and professionally. Uh, so it, that was only the one comment, negative comment out of all of this. The community has been um, just really healing. Well, if all you get is one comment <laughs> that is negative, <laughs> I call that a win. Well, like, so, you know, where, what do you think, what do you think it is about this community, you guys, that, um, you know, there's a lot of stereotypes out there about what geeks are. And there's a lot of stereotypes about what happened online and in, in the online forums and at Comic-Con about the geek community. Um, what do you guys think it is about this community that can be so supportive? We, we saw this on, um, I don't know if you guys saw, um, on Will Wheaton's blog, he, um, posted a question that he got from one of his readers, um, where the, the a mother wrote in and said, um, my daughter is dealing with depression. Um, she, I really want to take her to a comic con, but, um, I'm, I'm worried about some of the anxiety she also experiences in crowds. Um, do you guys have any recommendations on how I can take her to a Comic-Con because I think it would be very healing for her to see all this. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people wrote comments. And I'm not just saying like one sentence comments, but very long comments um, wanting to help this person. Like I think that's another example of how people in this community can and do rally around people to support them. What do you guys think it is about the geek community? Well, I mean, I think you touched on it when you were talking a little bit about the fact that I think a lot of people who gravitate towards some of these geeky things are people that understand what it's like to be lonely and to be the other person um, for a lot of reasons people in the geek community sometimes have been that unpopular kid at school. I think it's a little different now that geek culture is a, a lot more mainstream. But um, the, one of the things that comes to mind is the Star Wars kid, that yeah. YouTube video with that guy that he was, you know, doing a pretty awesome <laughs> lightsaber <laughs> choreography <laughs> and kids put it up to be mean about it um and instead the whole geek community rallied around him and i think that that's p 
part, I think there's a lot of people within the community and obviously you can make, you know, there, there may be some, some bad eggs here and there, but overall I've never seen in my personal experience, I've never seen anything but support and, and positive words, um, when people are dealing with hard issues. Um, and I know that my sister, when was, when she was on, um, she was one of the the people on the Buffy board and she is still lifelong friends now with a lot of those people. And she, this was pretty early on and people would make a lot of comments to her like, you don't even know these people. And you know, there, what could you possibly talk about with them or what could this possibly be adding to your life? And she got a lot of very negative comments from people who weren't participating in this. And she still gets support and emotional support from all of these people a lot of times on a daily basis through other channels now. But um, I think that this is just a community that is generally supportive and understands when people are going through a hard time and wants to do something to help. So I have a much more positive perspective. Like I think everything that Conrad said is absolutely true. And we've all kind of felt that, you know, isolation that, you know, just, getting our eyes rolled at us and, and, but I think we're, we are a cultural minority defined mm. by a celebration of the things that we like. And so when we get together, we don't get together because we've been uh, shunned or because we've been bullied. We get together because we think that Star Trek is awesome and it is amazing. <laughs> right. And we're like the two nerds, like uh, the only two nerds in the room. And we, we, you know, our eyes lock and we're like, you got it. I got the reference. You got the reference. Let's be friends. This is awesome. How yeah. about we get a million of us together. Right. And let's build a community around that. And I think that when you build like these conventions are, we're not, trying to hide right from from people we're loud about it i mean some places have parades it is huge and with so much positivity i mean how how can it not be that great right how it shouldn't surprise us that everybody is so supportive and everybody is just a big love fest it's it's amazing you know um jose i was pulling while you're writing i was pulling up one of my favorite quotes about that um that comes from neil degrasse tyson he said this at comic-con last year at his uh cosmos panel he said if comic-con people ruled the world the future would be invented daily and Mm -hmm. warfare warfare would be nothing more than bar fights with toy lightsabers this is the world i want and i think that kind of that speaks to um how passionate geeks are and even when we get into disagreements um we're there's such like intellectual disagreements right like we're going to debate new godzilla versus old godzilla right and we're going to debate about um star trek the original series versus next generation versus uh the jj abrams universe and we might get into these really heated discussions and we talked about that on your podcast when when you had me on your podcast we're talking about nerd rage but Rarely does nerd rage uh, transition into like physical conflict. Um, There's still, I think, how many times? How many times did I say that on the show? None of these people that are mad because Ben Affleck is Batman are going to punch him in the face if they see him. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They're just going to write ragey words online. That's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we talked about that, and we'll put that in the show notes so people can check out that that. A, a very fine episode of the Geek Therapy Podcast. Um, but I think this this is a com- community that sh- at the center of it is love, is, is love for a genre, love for a story, love for characters. Um, but we're, we're united in how much we 
we love something. Um, I, I cool love thing. to. Yeah, I love to hear people say. I've, I've heard a lot of people say lately, like you know, like how are you so happy? And not to me, just like in conversations and things like that. Like, what's the secret to like being okay and being happy? It's like surround yourself with cool people, right? Mm-hmm. And and I don't know. I've known people in my life who are surrounded by people who are constantly making them angry, constantly bothering them, not making them feel good. And I've never surrounded myself with people like that because I've always connected with people about things that we loved. And even if we disagreed about a whole other, a lot of other stuff, we could still agree and enjoy our time together for, for one thing. You know, like I, I might have gamer friends. I might have friends I'll go to the movies with. And, and that's okay because my, at least my relationships, for the most part, are built on that passion for something, you know, on the, on the love, like you said. Yeah. Well, do you guys think mental health and some of these things that we're talking about, whether it's, you know, a, a big part of my story is is anxiety. I was a selectively mute, undiagnosed selectively mute kid. And I know like the first time I heard selective mutism, I thought it was like a superpower, something like out of X-Men. Um, it's not. It basically <laughs> means in certain situations, you're mute, you don't talk. Um, so I was a kid who wouldn't talk in situations where I was meeting a lot of new people. So my fr- the first day of school was horrible for me. And then I, I had a lot of social anxiety as uh, in in middle school and in high school and it was I did a, a ton of speech and debate and it scared the you know the crap out of me but that was one of the things that helped me overcome a lot of that anxiety but anxiety has been a big part of my story and that was a lot of what happened when after my brother died I had a lot of that anxiety come back do you guys think things like anxiety or depression or, you know, um, eating disorders or um, psychological trauma? Do you guys think this stuff is in any way um, easier to talk about in the geek community or there's less stigma about it? Well, I, I think the geek community has a lot of creative people. And I think that creative people generally have... A sensitivity because a lot of them do or have experienced moments of moments or periods of depression or anxiety and things like that. So I think it's something that there's an understanding of in the geek community. But I think you're I think you're correct in that there isn't as much of a stigma and that people are willing to talk about it. Um, and I think some of that is related to the positive nature of the community itself. I think that the the general population period, none of it like it's a small percentage is ready and willing to to talk about these things that a lot of people just don't understand. Right, as, as someone who's constantly yeah. talking about mental health, I'm constantly looking for ways to explain what is anxiety, what is depression. You know, um, it's it's not easy to understand. It's not easy to talk about. And I think what we do have is an opportunity. So, like, if people are coming here to talk about nerdy stuff. And they don't mind that we also talk about mental health during Mental Health Awareness Month. That is awesome. That is amazing. You know, we, mm-hmm. we can take advantage of those opportunities. Just like we said, we're all here to celebrate. So why don't we take a moment and talk about something that's really important? And it doesn't have to be the whole thing, but it can be. We can talk about it. Everybody learns a little something. 
I have, okay. have you noticed, Josue, that there's been more resources and more more representation of, of mental health issues? I mean, I feel like I have within graphic novels and on various television shows and, and movies. Um, I feel like there's been a lot more, um, I don't want to say representation, but more realistic representation, if that makes sense. Mm. Or well, wait. I'll, argue, I'll argue whether they're realistic or not. Well, not realistic, but or, yeah. or an attempt at least to convey absolutely these absolutely. issues. It feels to me, or it seems to me, like there's been a lot more of that in various mediums. Um that yeah, you yeah, weren't absolutely. seeing as much before. Yeah, absolutely. Even just things like, uh, what is it, like United States of Tarot is a show about someone with um, dissociative identity disorder or multiple identity disorder, like it was known before, right? Just to have a whole show where they're constantly spouting out diagnoses was, it, it's important. Whether it's right or wrong, I think it's good that these things are out there. So that people, even when people just say, oh, I'm so OCD, like you just said you have a diagnosis, right? And you're taking it <laughs> casually. And OCD is a serious thing. Oh, I think I have PTSD. You probably don't have PTSD. You probably don't know what you're talking about. But now that you brought it up, let's talk about it. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of people talk about anxiety, depression, and and their whole other argument would be like the hyperpathologizing of our society where everybody has something. That's a whole other conversation. But yes, but that has led at least to more conversations. And absolutely, in the media, everywhere, TV shows, comic books, even video games. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I've tried yeah. to do this last year is like bring attention to that. Grand Theft Auto V, had you see a therapist? Those were missions. And I have a recording where like uh, of some of the audio where like the whole family of one of the characters goes to family therapy. That is amazing. It's a, it's satire of it, but yeah, it's out there and people can see it. And at least people can ask questions. And then hopefully when you have people who are like Ali, like a lot of our peers who are playing video games, talking about sci-fi and doing mental health, maybe hopefully we can help answer some questions and bridge those gaps. Well, let's let's play out that situation. I think that's a that's a really interesting example, the Grand Theft Auto five example. And, you know, you and I shared some funny tweets about this. I think you were saying like each session costs like a thousand dollars. Well, he raises price every session. <laughs> yeah, which is totally unethical. That's like in many ethics codes, you can't you can't do that. But um, let's let's play it out. So you, let's say you have a, someone who's younger playing that game, and let's say that for them, one of the memories that they just have from their childhood is this game where, along with you know doing all the other stuff that happens in that game, it's totally normal just to go to a therapist. And let's say this person is now you know a few years removed from the game and they're struggling, like maybe. Maybe that game makes it a little bit easier for them to get help because we're running up against so much stigma where people people sometimes believe that um, some of these things we're talking about, depression, anxiety, it's caused by uh, physical, mental weakness, that treatment should be done in secret, that you should never talk about it, that these are, are things that should be shunned. It's abnormal. It's strange when we know this stuff happens for a variety of reasons. Some of it's biological. Sometimes it's psychological. Sometimes it's environmental. Often it's all of those things. We also know that, you know, about a quarter of people at some time in their life are going to experience one of these things. We know that physical health and mental health are very much related. Um, These aren't separate entities. There's really no evidence for the stigma. 
but still the sigma persists. You know, so we have a lot of these new changes. And then, you know, I know in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., they were talking about trauma. Um, but then let's go all the way back too. I mean, Superman originally is an immigrant who dealt with a lot of identity stuff. We have Batman who um, has, since the core of this character, since the origin of this character, has had trauma at his very core. Um, I think some of the stories in geek culture, going all the way back to when it started, have talked about some of these mental health concerns. And now we're seeing it even more. And Josue, you saw this... um, at, at a convention at PAX East this year, right? Like the, you had a whole episode about all of the changes that they've done to support mental health related concerns and, and some of the, some of the things that they didn't do, but some of the changes that have happened at conventions too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at, at PAX East in particular, they actually had a room staffed by therapists and they were there to answer questions about mental health and help you take a break from what, you know, cons can be very overwhelming. They may be a celebration, but uh, they can be loud and overwhelming and tiring. And they had a room to, to kind of address that. And that is huge. That is huge. And even if people didn't walk in, they, they saw that it was there and they could read, wait a minute, these people are here for, to increase mental health awareness and to help with like fatigue and, and <laughs> feeling overwhelmed, like people were talking about it, which is the amazing thing. Wow. And, and that's why I think even good or bad examples, the, G, the GTA example is not a good example. <laughs> it's, like I would, it's one of those examples or what I call a conversation starter. You remember that therapist in uh, GTA? I'm not like that. I'm nothing like that. <laughs> most therapists are nothing like that. That is not therapy. But it's great to have people talk about it. Um, I just had this, uh, I just saw a video earlier today that was about LGBT portrayal in video games. And they showed so many examples of how whenever a character was either gay or cross-dressing, he was always a villain or crazy. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're kind of in that same situation where whenever we talk about a mental health uh, issue, the person is probably a villain or a tortured soul of some sort, whenever they show a therapist, it's pretty bad most of the time. <laughs> and they, they use diagnosis. a relationship with a patient. They don't care. Yeah. They, yeah the, the portrayals yeah. of ter- of, of therapists are, are terrible. Often. Yeah, usually. And, and the use of diagnoses is usually wrong. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Or very general, you know, it's like, Oh, you like to keep your pencils all the same color. You have OCD. No, it's more than that. It's like, you know, let's, but, but it's great that people are talking about it because then, like I said, it's just another opportunity for us to say, Hey, hey, that thing you just saw. No, 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 no. Let me, let me explain how it really is. Let me explain what's really going on here. So I think it's great. Even if it is uh, like in a way making the stigma worse for now, but at least we're talking about it. Talking about is better than not talking about it not talking about it yeah yeah um well and you know speaking to this too i i think um i i i have i really got to give credit to a lot of these um these conventions because i think um people like you and i Josue, who are um you know our, our day job is 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 therapy 
we this is what we do. Um, I think people like us are are have been really welcomed at places like San Diego Comic Con, um, and. Uh, the organizers of these events are saying, okay, let's, let's have a conversation about this. Yeah. Um, you and I were both at WonderCon a few weeks ago, and we both had panels that got into these topics. Um, and an even, an even better example, I think, is when we were at New York Comic Con. We had a booth, oh, remember? Yeah. Just people yeah. constantly coming uh, up to us asking, what are you, you're, in a, you're in a convention, what is this therapy thing you're talking about? Hey, yeah. let's have a conversation. We're all therapists. Yep. We're all geeks. Check out some of the cool research we have. And it was people were really interested. And and I feel like the research is also catching up, too. There's been a long history in psychology of um, of poorly done studies about video games where um, there's been biased samples. There's been bad methodology. And for a long time, um, a lot of the outcomes of these studies were pretty negative. And in the last five to 10 years, we've had a lot of great, um, both uh, newly minted researchers, as well as more established folks who are revisiting video games and saying, hey, actually, there's a lot of benefits that come out of this stuff. And a lot of the finger pointing that happens in the media, this stuff is, isn't really based in science. And the scientific explanation is a little bit more complicated. There's a lot of great things that come out of this. And this is, again, something you've talked about on a Geek Therapy podcast, that there, there's movement happening in many areas of the, the larger culture that are making these discussions easier to have. And in gaming in particular, I think now there are gamers who read that bad research. So now there's a backlash of angry gamers actually doing the research themselves. They're in college, they're doing their dissertations, they've graduated, they're doing all this research to show what they know because they really understand it. And, yeah. and I guess maybe, maybe that's what's happening now too, right? Like we, we grew up with this stuff, now we're professionals and we're like, hey, wait a minute, I can, I can really link this stuff together. And we are, and we're giving these presentations. So we are, you know, all of us that are doing this, I mean, we're, hopefully we're being a part of that, right? We're injecting this part of, you know, stuff that we didn't talk about before, mental health conversations into our geek conversations. Conrad, you know what that makes me think of? What does it make you think of, Ollie? Ready Player One. Yep. You know, like, were you thinking that too? Yeah, actually. Oh my gosh, we had a little mind belt. Um, you know, I, uh, Jose, we, we, you're, what is you're this Ready Player One? You're, oh, no. Come on. Come on. <laughs> I think, I think all of us were kind of reading this uh, somewhat at the same time. And the, the thing about Ready Player One that just, when I think about it, and when I even just say the name Ready Player One, it just brings a smile to my face. Because that not only is that book a complete celebration of uh, the 80s and all of and a lot of the, the stuff that really kind of skyrocketed in terms of geek culture with Nintendo and blah, blah, blah. But um, the book was, um, was on the bestseller list incredibly popular and i think it speaks to how a lot of the stuff that we grew up with um when we were when we were kids when we were younger we're now adults <laughs> <laughs> and we we can have some say here we can shape the larger culture uh, you know the, all of us kind of grew up at a time when so much of the stuff was relatively new with video games and and comic books have been around for a long time but we grew up in an era where this stuff really started to explode 
And um, people used to wonder, like, what is this? And what happens in those shady arcades where the lights are dim and there's all these machines? And, you know, and now we're adults and we know we know like a lot of the stuff. Hey, you guys, it's just they're cool stories. There are ways we can have fun. A lot of this stuff is to be social and interact with someone else. Um, and we're all pretty normal people. We're all pretty well-adjusted people. So um, we, I think us, the geek community that's maturing now, we are ending some of the stigma about what it means to be a geek. I don't think we can, we can avoid it, I think, right? It's just... Well, I think we're just infecting everybody with yeah, our goodwill yeah. and nerdiness. <laughs> I've loved working with kids when, and, and I tell them like, oh yeah, I play video games. They're like, you're old. And I tell them, what do you think makes the video games that you play? They're not a bunch of kids, They're a bunch of old people. <laughs> you, you know what's, what happens to me every year, Josue uh, and Conrad is I always run into so many of my clients at New York Comic Con happens all the time. And it's gotten to a point now where before New York Comic Con happens, my uh, very geeky uh, clients and patients, we have a conversation about it. And I say, hey, so you've been talking about New York Comic Con a lot. And I want to give you a heads up. I'm going to be there too. And like most of the time they're like, oh my gosh, can we hang out? Let's go to this panel. And I'm like, well, here's the thing. I got to protect your confidentiality. You're probably going to hang out with friends. And I don't want to put you in an awkward situation where you have to say like, oh, this is my therapist. And they're usually like, oh no, I want to introduce everyone as, as you know, you're my therapist. And I'm like, okay, um, let's just back up. If you see me, I'm not going to approach you. I'll just kind of nod and you are welcome to say hi to me. And if you come say hi to me, we'll chat if you want. But it's, it come to the, it's come to this point where I have to have this conversation because <laughs> it happens so often. Um, and and that, it's a good that, sign that you're, you're not the only therapist I know who's had that happen. <laughs> yes. Well, I love it. It, yeah. it warms my heart so much when I see how um, in, in many ways it's easier to be a geek um, uh, and how it's, in some ways so much more accepted than when, when I was young. And I think that's, I'm hoping, I really am hoping you guys that, um, the discussions about mental health that we're having now, it's a similar trend and that, um, it's going to be easier for people to talk about these things, just like they talk about having diabetes or asthma or catching a cold or things like that. I, I really hope that these conversations become, um, just the same. Hmm. You know, I was just actually thinking, I wonder if, do you both feel like the stigma that there is more of a stigma in the U S specifically talking about these issues or that there's a difference in talking about them when you go outside of the U S. Oh, so I, I can, I can definitely speak to like Hispanic populations where you do not talk about like mental health equals crazy period. Mm -hmm. And you do not talk about it and at all, like it's really, really hard for people. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a very broad generalization, but it's a, there is a, a, a broad difference to, I think what we see here now. 
Yeah, there's I think there's pros and cons here. And, and, and Josue, you definitely spoke to the con there. And I remember some of the, the research I read in grad school about how people who might have some of the more severe forms of mental illness, maybe they're diagnosed with schizophrenia, how in some cultures outside the U.S., they actually have better outcomes because they aren't as much shunned as they are in the U.S., yeah, I was just I was I went to Iceland a few years ago and I started up a conversation with this barista and he was telling me because of Iceland just just where it is and the amount of light they get there's a ton of seasonal affective disorder because they are in the dark for a lot of the winter, um, from yeah. the fall to the winter. And then suddenly there's a lot of light. Um, and there is also a very, just a ridiculously high number of people who, um, who are alcoholics. And he was speaking about it very openly and basically said, yeah, so I go to my AA meeting and then I go and get my light therapy. And he, I was a little bit just taken aback by how just free with the information he was a matter of fact Mm. and you know said that basically the whole town was 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 suffered from depression for most of the year and and was supportive because people understood that that was something that you go through so i don't it was just something i was wondering if you knew about and I think it's that, I, I would love to see people be as open about things like that in generally because it was just truly refreshing. Yeah. To, to yeah. hear that. Yeah, that, that would be great. Like like you said, uh, like Ali was saying before about how you know, if we all come together and we're all talking about it. I think what Conrad, what you just said is it would be the, the ideal situation, right? If we're all talking about it so freely, it's like, oh, you've got to meet my therapist. My therapist is huge into Star Wars. Like he's, he's the therapist for you, right? And this is just <laughs> happening at a convention. Um, well, and, and that'll be great. <laughs> and what, what role do you think some of the geek celebrities play here? Like I, I mentioned Will Wheaton before, and he's, he's talked about um, publicly about some of his uh, depression that he's experienced. Um, and then I know um, Emma Stone, um, who is in, um, in Spider-Man right now, she's talked about some of the anxieties she's experienced. And so what, what role do you think some of the geek celebrities play here when um, they, in very public ways, are able to talk also about the experiences that they've had? Because I think that that kind of plays into what you're saying, Conrad, about being in Iceland and having I, it. Be- I think it's a huge uh, it's it's a big deal when a celebrity is willing to come out and and talk about their experiences. The one that just immediately came to mind was Stephen Fry talking about um, the his, his he is diagnosed as bipolar. He's done. Um, He did a BBC documentary about it, and then he actually attempted to commit suicide um, and then talked a lot about that and about just the struggles that he's dealt with and a lot of other. And he was in uh, V for Vendetta, amongst many other things. And he um, I think the fact that these celebrities are willing to come out and and share their experiences hopefully will make other people more willing to go in and get help if they are suffering these things because they can recognize the things that these celebrities are saying um and i think if the more the better in my opinion absolutely they give us an example to to go to like oh that's that thing that Stephen fry had or i learned about that from Stephen fryer i learned about it from will wheaton 
And in the case of, of a lot of these celebrities, too, whatever they're talking about, people are talking about. Or <laughs> That's Carrie, yeah. Carrie Fisher is another example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Her memoir was uh, full of stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And she continues to talk about it. Yep. Um, and... I think, you know, one of the things that I really liked about some of the things Stephen Fry was saying about his experiences is that, you know, this isn't this is this is a journey and you have to surround yourself with people that are supportive and you have to figure out what what works for you and you just can't hide it, you know, and he was being very blunt and honest and very you know, it it was not, it was definitely not an experience that was, um, in any way cushioned, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I think the hearing these kind of, um, stories from celebrities and I think, um, not only, so hearing the stories from celebrities gives us hope that we too can, recover from these things. I think it also gives us hope that, um, we, it's validating that we're not the only ones who experience this. And I also think that, um, uh, not just actors and that side of celebrities, but one of the things I love about geek culture too, is a lot of the content producers are celebrities. Like everyone has their favorite comic book artist or writer. And, uh, you go to artist alleys at these comic cons and it's, they're packed. Everyone's trying to find their favorite, um, artists and get, get something from them. And that's so meaningful to people. I think the fact that uh, we, if we have diversity in content producers too, they are more willing or more likely to write stories that speak to a lot of these um, these things that we're talking about. And reading stories, I think, is also so so healing for us, and it, it kind of um, demystifies the stuff and it, it destigmatizes it. And so, you know, like I. I um, Outside of anxiety, I also treat a lot of hair pulling disorder and skin picking disorder. And one of the challenges in this community is um, until very recently, we didn't have any celebrity that came out and said, you know, I have hair pulling disorder. And I think it's um, it's probably there are probably many reasons for that, but it's not because it's it's rare Hair pulling disorder is about one in 50 has it. And just very recently, I think a year or two ago, Olivia Munn came out and said, you know, that she pulls her hair. And that was a big deal because it it brought more attention to um, to this disorder that is um, is very much underfunded in terms of research. And sometimes it takes celebrities or members of Congress or other individuals to speak up um, until a disorder gets um, research and funding to really figure out how to help it. Well, and I think also just with what I think part of part of the not part of the positive positive things that happen when celebrities come forward i don't think it's just thinking somebody else is going through this it's also a recognition or a ha- aha moment oh my gosh that is what's going on with me and i think especially oh, with things yeah. like depression which can be truly insidious sometimes people don't realize that they're actually suffering from this that that because it's so it's become so much a part 
of their lives and they just don't realize, oh my gosh, this is what this is what was going on with me. Maybe I should go and seek out help. And I don't I, I think that that is so valuable um, and something like the hair, like hair pulling. Um, I could imagine that that would be just truly traumatic for somebody to be doing that and not understanding what was happening. Conrad, I hear that all the time, all the time from um, from parents of young kids, of teenagers and, and adults, that they thought that they were the only one. And when they figured out that there was a name for this thing that, that was happening to them, that was healing. And then when they found out that there's other people, that was healing. And then when they find out it's one in 50, that was healing. I think you're, you're totally right on here that just knowing that there's other people that are going through something that you are as well, um, can be powerful in how healing it is. We'll never have too many examples of, of any of these things. That's why I love it when anybody comes forward and even if they're fictional examples of it, it's so it's, it's good to have them. Yeah. 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 You know, I mean, and that's, it's, um, it's, you know, we're, we're, you guys, I, I, I keep having to pull myself back because I, uh, I want to give spoilers about my top five. Well, maybe, maybe we should move into them, Ollie. I think we should. You guys, you guys ready to head into our top five? Absolutely. I've been ready for like, oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll, get, yeah. I'll make up a sound effect because we're not really doing a crossover this week. So, um, welcome to the top five. Mental health stories. I like that. Yes, that was awesome. Okay, Jose, you have officially invited yourself back to the podcast. You you have a standing invitation thanks to that sound effect. I have really good ones too. That one isn't one of my best. That's all it took, Ollie. Hey, it's something that is very important and near and dear to my heart, Conrad. <laughs> How about this, um, Jose? Can you do a sound effect for every uh, number that we go down as we get close to one? I'll try. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Okay. Who wants to go first with uh, their number five pick? Oh, so we actually, we should start. Um, So folks, we are doing top five mental health stories. Um, The instructions here that we sent out to everyone were to keep it pretty broad. You or to keep the instructions were kept pretty broad that you could draw in stories from any form of media, any type of story. Um, And it didn't have to be like any specific type of mental health story, but any Thing that really got at the idea and the topic that we're talking about today. Um, how did you guys um, figure out what made the list and what didn't make the list? Very carefully. <laughs> <laughs> what were you looking out for, Conrad? Um, well, I was trying to, to pick stories or different different things, and I tried to, to pick a few different um you know, just a few different types of mental health stories and, and representations, um, and things that really just hit home for me. And I remember thinking about them long after I had read them or, or seen them. So that was, that was part of my criteria. It was a very long list until we started this episode, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Jose, what about you? How'd you, uh, how'd you put your list together? 
So this is the type of thing I do all the time. I'm always looking for examples in, in everything, whether it be a song, a movie, whatever, a picture. And, uh, but I tried to pick something that was, that I could actually get away with explaining and it making sense because I think that a big part of this is that, um, anybody can relate to anything. Right. And, uh, I tried to bring the ones that I could, I could sell <laughs> and, uh, in part, um, and also the ones that I thought were at least to me, uh, very powerful and that I would like for people to check out or, or to consider. Very cool. I, I think we we're all having a little bit of mind meld on that. Um, I tried to pick from different mediums and to just highlight how mental health can be talked about in validating and healing in honest ways um, across different forms of stories. So that was one criteria. The other thing, uh, very similar to Conrad, is I wanted something that um, struck a chord with me, and um, I wanted to highlight some a couple of mine. Um, I think are things that people might not consider as mental health stories, but I wanted to bring awareness to that. Um, all right. So, uh, Jose, um, you're a guest. How about we have you start things off with our number five? Okay. So my, my first one is actually a superpower. All right. So this is uh, Spider-Man's Spider-Sense. So it's not a story, but it's something that plays into most spider-man stories interesting and yes now uh spider-man spider sense uh as marvel defines it it is a sixth sense that uh, provides him spider-man with early warning of impending danger does that sound like anything to you mm. in mental health that we talk about all the time mm-hmm. yep sounds like right? a little bit of anxiety Yep. Anxiety, right? Uh, anxiety is like our natural ability to know when a threat is near. And when we talk about somebody having an anxiety disorder or someone having anxiety problems, it's because they're getting scared about things that they don't necessarily, it's not productive to be scared of them. And the, the fear is usually unrealistic, et cetera. And Spider-Man has this fantastic ability, right? He actually uses uh, his spider sense to keep him out of danger. But there have been examples um, in different stories where his spider sense goes completely out of whack. And everything is just, he's overly stimulated. Yeah. His, it's just going off. And he's, you know, he's, he's twitching because he's like, everything is scary. And, and I can't think of a better example of like a severe anxiety disorder. Right. So to to draw that parallel, to be able to explain, I've actually explained to people what anxiety is, because a lot of people talk about being anxious, but they don't understand it. And if they know Spider-Man, they can they they can understand that Spidey sense is Spidey spider sense is uh, is a great like metaphor for anxiety. And those stories, I couldn't find uh, one in particular, but I know it's, I, there's so many issues of Spider-Man. Um, <laughs> yeah, they just started a whole new, uh, whole new issue, right? With, uh, amazing, uh, new Spider-Man. amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and I have to be careful when we're talking about mental health and comic books. You use the word issues too much, so I need to be careful with that. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are many comic books uh, uh, featuring Spider-Man, and Spider Sense is just really important. So that was my that was my number one. That's uh, or your number five. five. My number five. Yes. Yep. That's a good pick, Jose. I love that. I, you know, I treat a lot of anxiety, and I just never thought of connecting those dots like that. Uh, but it totally makes sense. And and it came up from a, like a lot of this stuff comes from clients. Like I said, you could relate to anything. And it was a client who really liked Spider Man, 
And then it just came to me in that moment. I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the magical moments of therapy that are just so much fun. Conrad, what do you got for your number five? My number five was actually Batman. Wait, Batman is not number one? Well, I was going to make it number <laughs> one, but you know. I We always talk about Batman. We always talk about Batman. Um, and the reason that I picked Batman is that so much of the the origin story of this character is, is related uh, to, to trauma. And, and I would say that I always thought that he was suffering from PTSD and that this informed a lot of his decisions. Um, and what his his way of becoming a superhero was a way to battle against some of the trauma he had faced as a child now depending on which version of batman you get and which part of the the comic book story you get you can have varying ideas about whether he, he is a positive force or not but i do think that this uh, the reason why i picked it is that it's one of the earlier representations of this um and some people have actually said that they thought that bob kane actually was was suffering from this and um granted it's it's a bit of a thin conjecture but um you know i i just thought that it was one of my favorite comic book representations anyway so so can I can I say something about that? Sure, uh, sure. Uh, so so actually, um, there's a a friend a friend of of, of ours, Ali. Uh, you know, too, a Travis Lang. He wrote this yeah. book on a Batman and psychology, and he says he does not have PTSD, like very very clearly. And and I and I agree with that. And it's good it's good to have this conversation and to to make the distinction. He absolutely went through traumatic events. But the fact that he can, and people argue about this all the time, so this is not like written in stone, but he is uh, able to thrive and he is, a, he is very successful at what he does and he is able to function. And uh, the traumatic event is a motivation for him. Um, so absolutely there's trauma there, but I, I don't think he has PTSD. Mm, I don't know. I think that there are moments when he's working through it. We're going to have to agree to disagree well, on this. Like I said, lots of people argue about this. And I was going to say an even different thing. I was going to say uh, what I love about Batman is his story starts with trauma and it ends with post-traumatic growth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's this whole idea that I, I really love from uh, positive psychology that people can, um, people might experience a traumatic event and the struggle that results out of that event, not the event itself, but the changes that someone goes to can lead to growth. And I think there's no better example of that than Batman. There would be no Batman had it not been for the traumatic events he experienced. He grew from those and he became something bigger, a symbol for the city. Well, but and maybe maybe Bob Kane was uh, was was channeling what he wished had happened, um, because Mm. apparently when he was younger, he had a pretty horrible incident um, when he was he was basically beaten by a gang of kids um, pretty badly. Like, I think they broke his arm. And, um, you know, he, he, I think, and some people conjecture, uh, conject that he, he wrote Batman basically as, as his way of being a positive, a positive way to get through that later on, or or maybe a positive way of thinking about it. 
so the the story of Batman was also healing for him. Right. And and, you know, for for those of you who are fans, definitely check out uh, Travis Langley's uh, Batman, A Dark and Stormy Night. Um, you guys should also check out Andrea Ledmenti and Brian Ward's uh, podcast, Arkham Sessions, where they really dive into the psychology of Batman, too. Very beloved character. Uh, good pick, uh, Conrad. Um, my number five here, it, we're, we're, we're all pulling out our heavy hitters as mm-hmm. for our number fives. <laughs> I got a heavy hitter, too. Um, my number five is Spock. And uh, I, I always ha- I, I had to have a Star Trek pick in here. And when I was thinking of a character or a story, and there was many, um, I was thinking of Captain Picard. He's he's there's a few really great episodes with him. I was thinking of Benjamin Sisko. I can go on and on and on. But I knew I wanted Spock in here. Now, the original Spock, Leonard Nimoy, a lot of people found his character to be incredibly healing. Um, he's half Vulcan, half human. A lot of people who, anyone who felt different, whether it's because they were biracial or maybe they were an immigrant or maybe they were the only person in their community like themselves. Um, Leonard Nimoy Spock spoke to that. But I'm actually talking about Zachary Quinto's Spock. And this is the new Spock from the J.J. Abrams 2009 Star Trek film from the comic book Star Trek Ongoing, which fills in the gaps um, between Star Trek and Star Trek Into Darkness and then obviously 2013 Star Trek Into Darkness. The reason why I chose Spock is... Not only does do we see the bullying, do we see the the half human half Vulcan being the only half human half Vulcan on Vulcan, and we see that that thread is carried through from the original character, but this new Spock speaks to trauma and anxiety. This is a Spock who has not only lost his entire planet, but he has lost his mother, and he's struggling with the anxiety, with uh, with the uncontrollability of his emotions now as a result of that trauma. And there's a quote from Star Trek Into Darkness that when I saw that film um, and this quote, it just... I felt so validated by what he said. And Ahura says, at that volcano, you didn't give a thought to us. What it meant to me if you died, Spock. You didn't feel anything. You didn't care. And Spock says, your suggestion that I don't care about dying is incorrect. A sentient being's optimal chance at maximizing the utility is a long and prosperous life. It is true that I chose not to feel anything upon realizing that my own life was ending. As blank died, I won't give away the spoiler, I joined with his consciousness and experienced what it felt like at that moment of his passing. Anger, confusion, loneliness, fear. I had experienced those feelings before, multiplied exponentially on the day my planet was destroyed. Such a feeling is something I choose never to experience again. Naota, you mistake my choice not to feel as a reflection of not caring. Well, I assure you that the truth is precisely the opposite. So that's Spock basically saying, it's really hard for me to feel those things. I care about you so deeply, and it's painful for me to imagine losing you as I've lost my mother. And so I choose not to feel those things. That's exactly what I went through with my brother's death is it was so painful for me to think about those memories because I cared about him so much because he was so tied into these things that I love, all the geeky things that I love. And when I saw all of that happen and on that, on the big screen, it just was really, um, really a touching moment for me. Some people like to complain that this Spock is more human, oh, blah, blah, blah. It's not that he's more human. It's that he's experiencing this trauma and this anxiety and trying to work his, his self through this. 
So my number five is Spock. Boom. Drop mic, I guess. <laughs> Drop mic, I'm, I'm actually surprised you, you brought out Spock so early. Well, I, so here's the thing is we know I'm the resident Trekkie on the, on, on the show right now. So I, I wanted to get it out of my system. My other stuff <laughs> is very different stuff. Okay. All right. Number Jose, Jose, you got a sound effect for us to lead us into our number four? Uh, no. Pass. I'll come up with someone with something later. You put okay. me on the spot. I'm I'll, too nervous. I'll, I can't do I'll it. I'll do this one. <laughs> uh, fascinating. That's my Spock thing. That's not much of a sound effect, but it's the Meh, best I could do. There's mine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number four, uh, Conrad. Let's let's go to you. Um, sorry, I didn't know you were going to hop to me so quickly. Um, my number four is Sherlock. BBC Sherlock, original uh, Sherlock. BBC Sherlock. Sherlock. Of course, of course. Um, I know that there is a lot of debate. Um, about what Sherlock is exactly. And, you know, I, I think generally he does suffer from, from some sort of, of emotional disorder. Um, I'm not going to name it, though. Um, but I think that the way that the show, ha- the treatment of Sherlock has has shown the character struggling with some of the the drawbacks that his high intellect and um, his lack of access to his emotions create, um, but also are, it's showing his journey um, in dealing with those emotions. It also throws in a, a bevy of other emotional things, um, like like uh, John's um, issues with uh, with the war and things like that, but. Um, I think that it's a new way to look at this kind of a character and a new way to describe him. Um, and I think that it is something that some people connect with. So I don't want to get too much into the debate about, um, I guess I will name it, but some people say that he has Asperger's. I think that that's not necessarily what's going on, but um, perhaps he goes in that direction. So I think that it's... Um, it's a unique, a unique way of presenting a character on television. And because um, this has become so far, you know, far reaching, uh, it's actually started a conversation, even if he's not necessarily showing all of those aspects. So what do you think, Ollie? I, I like it. I, lo- I love that pick. Um, I think the show, um, it, you know, regardless of whatever he has, and I'm not an expert enough in the show to, to make a stab at that. But um, regardless of what he has, what I like about the show is he's it's not just about his uh, his uh, what makes him different and what separates him from everyone else or the things that get in the way they do a nice job of showing the complete character and that's my pet peeve whenever we see um any of these things whether it's depression anxiety whatever it is on in characters if they're just defined by that and that's the only thing then that's a stereotype but sherlock kind of shows the whole picture I really, I love Sherlock, and I think that uh, this rendition, this this representation of the character, and Spock, all Spocks, uh, I think they do a great job of showing that there's different ways to feel emotions, 
Mm-hmm. Right? Like, mm. sh- Sherlock, everybody thinks he's a dick, but <laughs> he's so lovable, right? At, at, yeah. at times, and you know that he cares about different people, and you know that he enjoys what he does, and you see him express a full range of emotions in ways that pe- people don't always understand. It doesn't mean that he doesn't feel them. It doesn't mean that he doesn't believe what other people believe. Uh, it's just, you know, there isn't one way to express that you're happy or to show people that you care. And I, I think that those two characters more than any other that I can really think of right now um, do that. And it's, it's great to see because I think a lot of people relate to that. Well, and it also speaks to how um, sometimes having a different outlook on the world um, can, also, can also be a strength and we see that with Sherlock. While he has some deficits, he also has some incredible strengths. And there's things that he's able to do that other people can't. Well, he doesn't think he has any deficits. No, well, and that's <laughs> part of his deficit. <laughs> All right. Um, I'll go next. My number four. Um, what is my number four? I, I browsed away from my list. Oh, yeah. My number four is a uh, web comic turned into a book called Hyperbole and a Half. Ollie. Did I steal one of your yes. picks, Conrad? Yes, What number you is did. it for you? It's number three for me. Number three. All right. So it's higher for you. So I'm going to let you take the lead on it. No, no, no. Go ahead. No? Okay. All right. So it's a webcomic um, written by Ali Brosh. And it's um, it, it's a comic that's a bit of a memoir, but then also goes into her own different ideas and her own different thoughts. But there was two specific posts that she wrote about adventures in depression. And I think the other one's called like Depression Part Two or something like that. And it's it's an really it's probably the best way of helping someone else to understand depression that I, I've ever seen. Um And it also talks about how people kind of fall into depression. And um, the second second post she wrote um, is she kind of explains why she hasn't written in a long time. And it's because she was depressed. Um, And it's also there's really beautiful done kind of paintbrush illustrations that are at times very funny, at times heartbreaking. And it's just a very honest, accurate depiction of depression i i'm always moved by uh, by her uh, her writing she turned this into a book which you guys can check out we'll put it in the show notes and we'll link to the articles too but i love it um conrad what, what were your thoughts on hyperbole and a half um a friend of mine um moira actually is the person that introduced me to this and it um it it's so powerful and it's really i mean if, if you want to talk about because it, it's basically done in sort of a comic strip looking way, um, which she has as part of her blog. And it is just really hard hitting. Um, and I agree with you. I think it's one of the, the better tools out there to try to explain to people who don't suffer from depression what suffering from depression is like. And yeah, it's not just sadness. Right. right. I mean, um, and yeah. she does this fantastic job. And I mean, she injects a lot of humor into it as well, which I also think is helpful. Um, and, you know, in, in addition to to some of these kinds of blog posts, she also has a ton of really very light uh, 
light entries about her dogs, um, which I appreciate as well. Um, but, um, as a person who suffers from depression, when I was reading this, I was like, that's exactly how this is. Mm. Um, and I also think it's incredibly brave of her to put all this out there. And I know that she at times has gotten a little bit overwhelmed by, um, how, how many people now read this blog and comment, um, to the point where she actually, I think, has has deleted some entries and things like that because she just felt like it got a little too personal. She was she was kind of using it as her own online journal and didn't really think that that many people would be reading it. And then, hey, the world read it. So, um, but I highly recommend it. Um, not just that particular particular uh, entry, the Adventures in Depression, but there's a lot of good stuff on there generally. Jose, have you read Hyperbole now? No, I just looked it up. I'm looking at the pictures now. <laughs> the ones I, with- I think Hyperbole and a Half has one of the best depictions of anhedonia that I've ever seen. And anhedonia is one of those core symptoms of depression. It's when you no longer are enjoying the things you used to enjoy. Um, so the author writes, slowly my feelings started to shrivel up. The few that managed to survive the constant beatings staggered around like a wounded baby deer just bidding their time until they could die and join all the other carcasses strewn across the wasteland of my soul. I couldn't even muster up the enthusiasm to hate myself anymore. She's talking about how it's becoming so, things are becoming so much harder and it's harder for her to do things. It's harder for her to feel things. It's just a really, really, um, just such an honest depiction of of what it is to experience that. So, I, uh, yeah, highly recommend it. Jose, you should read it after the show. <laughs> I will. So that was my number four. Um, it's my turn. It, it's your turn. Okay. Um, so my number four is a comic book series called Incorruptible, and it is written. Yeah, it is written by Mark Wade. It's awesome. Yes. Good. I don't uh, know good. this, you guys. What is right. this? So Incorruptible is uh, kind of a spin-off series to a more popular series called Irredeemable, where it's a story about a Superman-like figure who is a huge hero, the world's hero, and he becomes a bad guy. Now, there's tons of issues and stuff in, in uh, Irredeemable that that are fantastic that we could talk about. But I think Incorruptible is the better series. And I also think it's the better example of, of a lot of stuff, particularly um, resilience. And that's a concept that I, I think goes hand in hand with mental health, especially with positive psychology and, and, and a strength-based approach. And also uh, I do cognitive behavior therapy. And a lot of that is, you know, changing your perspective, you know, seeing how your beliefs affect the way you feel type of thing. And in Incorruptible, uh, the main character is a supervillain, essentially the, the big Superman figure's arch nemesis. And his power is that over time he gets stronger. And as you see his uh, backstory, he was actually beat up as a kid and he never wants to go through that again. I mean, he gets like beat up like bone shattered head to toe and he never wants to feel that again. So he actually has the opportunity to choose a superpower and um, and what happens is the power that he ends up getting is that he becomes stronger over time. Um, the longer he's awake, the, the stronger he becomes. And I think that that's a great metaphor for resilience. But a big part of it also, and, and my favorite part of the story is that when he decides, when he's, you know, he's a supervillain and he decides, I'm going to be a superhero now. 
he has this idea of what a superhero is supposed to be. And it's very clear for him. And it's essentially clear-cut rules, perfection. And he tries to hit every check mark. And he he does to an extent. And many times he fails. But it doesn't matter how perfect he is, he, he's never able to become the hero. Because one lesson that he learns o- over time is that, you know, being a hero does not mean being perfect. Like following all these rules does not make you a good guy. And he comes to this realization throughout the course of the series. And I love it as a metaphor for seeing that, you know, you don't, you don't have to be perfect. And to be this one thing that, that you want to be, it doesn't mean that you have to be all these other things that you think it is. That's, that's not true. And uh, for, for those two reasons, mainly the resilience and the, the learning aspect, I think it's just a fantastic series. Is this an ongoing series? Um, it's a, it's yeah. 30 issues. It's, it's, a, it's pretty long. Well, yeah. you know, not long in comic book terms, but... <laughs> yep. But it's not a graphic novel, but there's... It, yeah, I so, think it's in four... Vo- uh, well, it's probably five or six volumes in graphic novels, and it's 30 issues total. It's already so, completed. So would you recommend people just pick up issue number one? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. You might, you might as well just do the trade paperbacks, though, because... Mm-hmm. I know that people get angry at that, but yeah, it's yeah. just you know, or you can like, just and, you can just go on Comixology, right, and, and download yeah. most of it. Yep, uh, I bought uh, the whole series for really cheap on Comixology. Yep, that's probably what I'll end up doing. Yeah, cool, um, Jose. I love that pick, and I also love that you picked something that um, spoke to resilience, and I love that idea that um, sometimes. Um, going through experiences can make you stronger and they can, it can make you more resilient to future stress and future difficulty. And that's um, one of my favorite, I'm, I don't want to get too academic here, but one of my favorite um, articles in psychology is called Ordinary Magic. And it's all about uh, the magical healing strength of resiliency and how people used to think that kids in inner cities that are exposed to more stress would actually be worse off. But the research has shown that a lot of these kids are even stronger and that led to the whole field of resilience. And it's just such cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great pick. Thanks. My, yep, my resilience is my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> so um, those are our number fours. Um, Jose, you have a sound effect for us? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Oh my God! No, that's McDonald's. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Whoa! I don't know why that. Where did yeah, that come that, from? That. I don't know. It didn't start that way in my head. It just came out. Oh, someone's hungry. You don't want to get sued. Oh, <laughs> well, with that, uh, we're going into our number threes. Um, Conrad, you're at a little bit of a disadvantage since I stole your thunder with uh, hyperbole and a half. Um, I'll go with my number three then. Um, my number three, th- this is this is going to be a pick that needs a little bit of explaining. Um, it's the film Before Midnight. Um, have either of you seen this film? I have not. Yes, but you've, well, I have not seen it, but you have brought it up a few times. Is this, hmm, I think this is making a separate, a second opin- appearance in the top five. Is it? I think Was it might this? be. I think you've, you have, have listed this before. Well, I'm sure Spock's been in stuff before. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Before Midnight is, um, the third movie in a series of films um, directed by Richard Linklater and starring Ethan Hawke and Julie Depley. Uh, Delpia, I'm sorry. Um, 
it's it's a really interesting concept where um, the director and these two actors um, they came together and made a film called Before Sunrise that came out in the nineties. And it was basically a story about these two people who meet each other, fall in love, spend a day together, and then they become separated. Then in the 2000s, like almost 10 years later, they came together and made the film again. It's called Before Sunset. Um, And that film is about these characters now meeting again after all these years and what happens to them. And then just last year, 2013, they came out with Before Midnight, which is the exact same concept. This couple's now revisited this many years later after they've met. Um, Why I put this in our top five mental health stories is um, while the first two films sort of are more traditional in terms of um, not romantic comedies. They're still done in a much more authentic, realistic way. But while they speak to a lot of the the excitement about meeting a new person, kind of falling in love and all of that, Before Midnight is really a movie that takes place in the middle of a relationship that has existed for a long time. And if you see, I'm not going to give away what happens in the film, but there is a very long sequence in the film that speaks to some of the conflict that happens in any relationship between two partners. And when I saw that, I was so moved by it. It really, it's so validated what has happened to me in um, in my relationship with my partner. And we've been together for a long time. And there's been ups and downs. And it's not something really people talk about. It's not something you see on the big screen. Um, this type of honest depiction of what real conflict is between two people who love each other and the struggle to stay in love. We see a lot about falling in love and happily ever after, but we never really see the hard work of being in a relationship. So I'm putting before midnight on here just because it's so validating. Um, and anyone who hasn't seen it really recommend checking it out. Um, you can check out the first two. It'll, it'll give the before midnight more oomph, but if you can't see before sunrise or before sunset, still check out before midnight. Um, really well done film. I think my favorite thing about what you just said is that we're talking about mental health, but we're also talking about relationships and how those can be difficult. Um, You treat anxiety. I treat anxiety. A lot of stuff we treat. We talk about the disorders, but, you know, maybe we need to talk more about why people get to that point. And sometimes it's relationships. Sometimes it's work. Sometimes it's, you know, family, friends, financial situations. It's real life stuff that gets us to that point where somebody's where we've got some symptoms and somebody's giving us a diagnosis. Yeah. And I don't I think we we need to do a lot more of that. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you you brought that up within this context. Thank you, sir. Um, I, I, I agree. And I think that it's um, um, there's a lot more to mental health than an individual person. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Fantastic. Uh, Josue, I think that we go back to you since, again, oh, I stole yeah. <laughs> Conrad's thunder. Sorry. Oh, Conrad. yeah, yeah. Okay. It's all good. All right. So my number three is uh, another comic book series. This one called I Kill Giants. And I don't know this either. This is okay. awesome. It's okay. Uh, let me know if you want to read it once I'm done explaining it. Uh, it's a seven-issue series. You can get it in one graphic novel. Uh, 
it was released back in between 2008 and 2009. So you can get the graphic novel now. It was written by Joe Kelly, art by J.M. Ken Nimura is his name, right? I'm sure we'll put this in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And it's about a little girl named Barbara who's coping with her mother's illness um, by becoming a giant killer. And uh, the reason she does that is because if she can defeat giants, she can defeat death and therefore save her mother from this illness that she has. And she creates this world around her where she is a giant killer. She studies it. She becomes very good at it. And she's always preparing for this moment because she knows that if she can do this thing, then she can save her mom. I've essentially spoiled half of the, of the story, but it's important to understand that. <laughs> right? It's important to understand uh, that and why retcon, it's so important. Retcon spoiler alert. Yeah, no. I mean, you have to get the, the context because if not, I'd be, I'd be too vague. It's about this girl who, you know, kills giants. No, that's not, that's not exactly what's going on. <laughs> um, and the way it's represented is amazing because the things that are happening, right, you don't know why there are things going on and you don't know what exactly it is that's bothering her and why she's acting the way she's acting. And every time they bring it up in the series, the speech bubbles in the comic book are actually scratched up. So even though they're talking about it, we don't know what they're talking about. And as the story progresses, those speech troubles start getting clear. And it actually shows this little girl um, working with a therapist. And how often do you see that in a comic book? Mm. And she actually does a little bit of, you know, geek therapy type of thing where she, she, she finds out what this little girl is into. And this little girl loves baseball. And there are baseball references that are very telling about her story and the things she talks about. And the, the therapist tries to take advantage of that. And there is no progress in that relationship until there's actually rapport between both of them. And, and it's an amazing, amazing story. And the, the theme of the story is resilience. It's you are stronger than you think. And you learn how she's stronger than she thinks through this journey that she goes through, essentially killing giants. I won't say exactly what all that is, right? But uh, it is it is one of my favorite stories. Uh, warning, you will cry. Mm-hmm. I've cried every time I've read it. It's guaranteed, almost. Have you read this, Conrad? I have heard of it, but now I want to read it. Yeah, that was a really great advertisement. For that, for that book, I mean, you really teased me. Like, like first off, like I, ju- I need to know what these giants are. Like, mm-hmm. I, 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 I feel like I must read this comic book now. Give it to me. I want to read. Here's a tease. There may be things bigger than giants. What? Yes. What? <laughs> it is so good. Please, everybody, go, go read this book. Buy it if you if you can. It's just amazing. This is my really? favorite thing about top fives is like <laughs> learning about new stuff and then consuming it. All right, that's it. Um, okay, so I think we're moving into number twos. Jose, sound effect, please. I don't, I'm afraid to. I've, I've like I've messed it up the other two times. Conrad, you got you got a sound effect. I was gonna do titteru, 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 but. I, don't, I was thrown off by the other ditty. I was excited for a moment. I thought maybe we had a new sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, we'll, we'll we'll go with that. And Conrad, you've been waiting very patiently. Well, let's, let's throw it to you. What is your number two? 
my number two is actually one we did discuss before called Marbles. Uh, you got right. Did I get you? You took my number one. Yes. I knew I knew Ali had marble fever, so I didn't include it in my list. I said I know he's gonna go for that. So <laughs> I did have marble fever. Um, go ahead, Conrad. No, I will let I because it is your number one, I, I shall let you do the, the big intro. But this is something we talked about very briefly in another episode. Um but this is a graphic novel uh that deals with the the author of the graphic novels, um uh, her depiction of bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. Ellen Ellen Forney, um, who is a comic, right. and this is uh, her autobiographical memoir. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is very well done. It is, um, you know, it's it, it's just very. I think it's very insightful, and um it talks about the big struggle in treating this particular disorder and how how hard it is i mean it is definitely i would call it a battle um and i think stephen fry um also gives good illustrations of this as well but i for some this this is just a very you you will also cry a little bit reading this but it's um it's lighthearted it's not overly heavy, heavy but it's it's definitely a little bit of a hard journey to see just her going through all of this. Yeah. Yeah. It, so I, I discovered this very recently, just a few weeks ago at WonderCon, um, when there was a panel about using comics in, in medicine and healthcare. And, uh, they kept mentioning marbles and I, I think I texted, I think I might've texted both of you. And I was like, Hey, do you guys know this marbles thing? And then you both were like, yes. How have you not heard of this? <laughs> Actually, I think, I think that was more hose waves response. And then Conrad's mm-hmm, yeah. response was, Really, Ali? Um, I'm surprised you haven't heard about this. So um, I, I read it, I consumed it, and I cannot believe I haven't heard of this before because I think not only is it a masterpiece in the in the world of graphic memoirs, but this graphic novel needs to be required reading for all therapists in training. It is, I think the definitive uh, representation of not only bipolar depression, but the experience of going through treatment. I mean, she unpacks all of this from the moment of becoming diagnosed, responding to that diagnosis, struggling with that, going into treatment, um, struggling with the decision of whether or not to pursue medication, side effects of medication, the different kinds of medication there are, um, hiding something from from your therapist, revealing it, feeling like your therapist's office is a safe space for you. You know, one of the things that that therapists don't understand until they become a patient is what it feels like to work with a therapist. And when I saw my own therapist for the first time in grad school, um, I realized that, oh, you think about therapy outside of therapy. And sometimes your therapist's voice pops up in your head like, oh, there you go, doing that thing again. And that made me think, wow, wait, hold on. There's, I should, I should really think a little bit more carefully about when I'm in the therapist role. This is quite more of a responsibility than I thought. So that's why I think every therapist in training needs 
needs to read this graphic memoir because it it's so it so gives you a window a window into the world of treatment and it's it does it in such a such a genuine way um it's obviously my number one i, I love this and as Jose said i do have marbles fever it's so good so good <laughs> I've used it in um, in presentations to to talk to other therapists about the power of comic books and the graphic medium. And I love that graphic memoirs is a thing now. And the best part of it is that this person and and I think that that yeah, required reading absolutely. And the more people that do it, the the better because everybody's experience is going to be a little different. And the more ver- ver- versions of that that we see, the the more our our perspective will be broadened right and, and and that's good for us as, as therapists um and for people who don't understand mental illnesses but the best part the, what i love about it the most is that there are things that are hard to put into words and she's able to put it in a picture yeah right there are things that are just yeah. scrambled right it's it's just it's just a mess there's chaos and instead of saying the word chaos she's showing you what it feels like and there's no way to describe that i can't no, describe yeah. the pages and she can't either so she drew it and it means so much. It's that, it's so great. That makes me think of the. There's a chapter where where she's talking about what it's like to be manic, and the next chapter is about falling into the depression. And the visual transition from one chapter to the next, it's like that's it. That's it right there. That is this illness in a nutshell. Um, oh, so good. Yep. Please go 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 buy this right now and read it. If you're listening to this show, you you must read Marbles. So wait, what was your uh, number two then? Oh, that's right. My number two, which will be my last one of the show, um, is a Broadway show, and this is uh, this is Next to Normal. Um, this is a Tony winning and a Pulitzer prize winning Broadway musical. Um, it was off Broadway in 2009. It was on Broadway in two, I'm sorry, off Broadway, 2008 on Broadway in 2009. And it went on tour. I think the year after, uh, music by Tom Kitt and lyrics by Brian Yorkley, Yorkie. So, um, I did not want to see this Broadway show at all. Um, again, my partner knew in, um, is a big uh, Broadway geek and has helped me to become a Broadway geek and found out about the show and read some reviews and the reviews were incredibly positive. And she told me about it and she said, so, okay. And you got to remember the context here. This is 2009, a year after my brothers died. So I am incredibly raw. I'm not talking about any of this stuff. So Nguyen says, um, so there's this Broadway show. It's called Next to Normal. It is about a mother who has bipolar depression. Um, do you want to see this with me? And I was like, that sounds like a horrible idea. Um, this, these were the flash of thoughts in my head. I didn't say this out loud, but I'm like, this is a horrible idea. Number one, how's a Broadway show about a mental illness going to be good? Number two, I am not ready to see this at all. Um, number three, I am avoiding these thoughts right now. So I'm going to shut these thoughts down immediately. And I think new kind of got an impression of what was going out of my head and said, look, I know, I know this might be tough for you. I also think it might be a little healing for you. And, um, why don't we check it out? So we did. And it was, um, it was amazing. Um, the music is 
beautiful. The this um, the way they did the staging was very advanced. They had like this see through house on stage with different levels. It was really cool how they did that. But the story really spoke to bipolar depression and like Marbles does. It also spoke to the family, the changes that happen in a family when they are trying to help someone with mental illness. Some of the mistakes that people make in families, some some of the things that they do that actually do help, some of the tremendous changes that happen, some of the conflict that comes out. And that piece of this was, um, again, it, it made me, it was validating to me. It made me feel less alone. It made me feel less strange. It made me feel less different. And while I didn't talk to Nguyen too much about those feelings or to anyone else, it did that night when I saw it make me feel less alone. And in subsequent months, I was able to talk to new Anne about it a little bit more about how much that Broadway show meant to me. And I was able to use a song from it as an example in one of my classes about, um, about mania. There's a song called I miss the mountains. And it's really about how, um, uh, the main character really um, the manic episodes is, is when she felt alive and when she's on medication or when she's depressed, she feels like all the light of her life has been removed. And again, like that's this illness in a nutshell right there. And, and this art form was able to capture it in a way that no textbook can. Um, so I, I really love this show. I think it's still touring around the world if, if you want to check it out or um, just check out the music. Uh, the music is, is really well done. So that's my number two. Cool. Sounds great. I, I want to see it. I'm glad to hear it's touring. I'm going to check it out. Yeah, check it out if it's nearby. Hope it comes it's, close it's, by, yeah. It's really worth a worth a look. Um, Jose, we got uh, you for number two. All right, my number two is a video game called Papo Iyo, uh, P-A-P-O ampersand Y-O. And it is on PlayStation and PC. Came out a couple of years ago, two years ago. Uh, it is a, considered an indie game, so it's a short game, about three to four hours to finish the whole thing. And it's about a little boy named Kiko who has a friend who's a monster. And uh, throughout the game, you're kind of just helping this monster. He's like, he's playful. He's, you know, likes to sleep a lot. But uh, sometimes you can like feed him and he, you know, follows you around and you help him get to different places. But sometimes he eats these like frogs that get turn him into like this raging monster. And... Uh, he'll actually attack um, um, Kiko. Now, uh, that's kind of how the game plays out. Uh, but the opening scene is actually, um, there's this quote where the creator of the game, uh, his name is Vander Caballero, thanks his parents and his siblings for helping him survive his father. Mm. And then the first scene is this little boy, Kiko, sitting in a closet, very scared, with a monster walking outside of the closet and you just see the shadow and you hear these uh, heavy, heavy stomps. And then like this magical portal opens in the closet and he's transported to this really cool looking place. Uh, and it's very surreal and he's manipulating this environment and he's trying to help monster get from one place to another. But monster has these poisonous frogs that 
then he loses control and he will actually attack Kiko. And uh, it's it's a metaphor for uh, his father. Uh, Vander Caballero made this game as a way to work through his alcoholic father uh, and, and everything he, he suffered with him. And um, as you play the game, it gets harder and harder to keep him under control. And at the end, you see a part where the things start kind of flashing and you realize that the monster is actually his father. And that those poisonous frogs that he was always eating, they change into alcohol, to bottles of uh, beer, essentially. And at the end of the game, um, Kiko learns his lesson and he, he realizes that he, he, can't, he can't carry this weight of his father and he has to let go. And that's the process of the game. And um, so it's very, very powerful. And it's also very personal, right? It's, it's his version of a graphic memoir, right? If a game designer were to do a graphic memoir, how would he do it? He would create mm. a game where he's struggling with this. And one of my favorite things about it was that once it was done and it has its effect on you, um, it's kind of hard to get through because you kind of start figuring out what's happening. But then you can replay the game. And once you replay the game, it adds this element where there are these funny hats everywhere. And then you walk up to the hat and suddenly you have this goofy thing in your head and you're playing the same exact game, but with goofy hats on your head all over the time, uh, all over the place. And you can actually collect them all and you kind of want to go through and get all these goofy hats. And it's actually very funny. And I think that's a, uh, that's the parallel that I wanted to draw to, to your story at the beginning. You know, it's, sometimes it's really hard to talk about some of the things that we went through the first time, maybe the second time. But you know, as we talk about them more, it gets a lot easier. Yeah. And I love that mm-hmm. example of like, this is my story and I suffered as a kid. Let's go through it again and let's have a little fun this time because it's yeah. a little easier the second time. It is just amazing. Everybody go check this game out because many games don't have that clear of a message. And it's actually, it's actually fun. It's got some technical things that are... that. Uh, it's, it's not great technically, but it's actually a very beautiful game. The music is beautiful, and uh, it was actually a lot of fun. So that's Papo EO. That's so cool. That's, that's really cool. And I, um, thanks for, for mentioning that because I, I, I think that is such an important message about um, sometimes sharing and talking about these things is hard. It, it gets better. The more you do it the easier it gets. And, and that's just how that's nature's way. That's how anxiety works. The more you are, are able to experience these experience these things, the less power they have over you. Um, I'm going to check that out. Cool. You guys, are we, are we moving into number one? We are. <sighs> yep. Dun, number dun, dun. one. <laughs> <laughs> Run, da, da, da. There you go. All right, you guys, you already know my number one. It's Marbles. Yeah. Conrad yeah. ruined it for everyone. Uh-huh. Um, well, spoke, for me. So, yeah, <laughs> I just spoke, so Conrad, I guess. Um, okay. My number one is actually, and I thought about this because I know that you and I did a whole episode on this, Ollie, but my Uh-oh. number one um, is the Harry Potter series. <laughs> you know, I was thinking of Harry Potter when Josue just gave his last pick. And the reason why um, is because I feel like you and I bring this up a lot as examples of various um, mental health issues, but also ways to to work through them in a positive way and to and to 
talk to your friends about what is going on. And I think that a lot of the characters show resilience in the face of some really horribly tragic things. Um, and, you know, we talked a little bit about J.K. Rowling in some interviews, talked, talked about her depression and about some of the things that were going on in her life, dealing with the death of her mother um, and just having basically just a total storm of of bad energy going on and was able to write these books in some ways as a therapy to get her. She felt like these books were very healing, like she needed to read them. And so I, I felt like they were the epitome of what we were trying to talk about today. Mm-hmm. You know, what's so funny about that, Conrad, is I, I used Harry Potter earlier today in one of my sessions. I here I use Harry Potter so much in my therapy um, and it's 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 got so much to draw into, whether it's um, Expecto Patronum and Patronus Charms and how that's so much related to cognitive therapy. And there's so many examples of, of the stuff that Jose and I do that is housed in Harry Potter. Um, yeah, good pick. Also, it's so popular that it is great to build rapport with both clients and students, which I did earlier today also. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess it's very fitting. Yet Uh, neither of you picked it. Hmm. Um, I, you know, I thought you were going to pick it. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. That might be a little lie. Uh, Um, I'm not going to go too much into it since we did have the whole episode with it. um, And I'd love to hear what Josue has to say about his number one. Okay. So everything I picked was kind of a metaphor, right? Kind of dabbling in these issues from another perspective, fictional. Um, so this last one is fictional, but there's no sugar coating or anything like that. There's no metaphor. It's just straight depression. It is a game called Depression Quest. And uh, as it's described on the website, it is uh, Depression Quest is an interactive fiction game where you play as someone. Someone living with depression. I couldn't read what I wrote. So. <laughs> <laughs> Let me say that again in case you're going to edit it. Depression Quest is an interactive fiction game where you play as someone living with depression. And interactive fiction, for people that don't know, it's essentially the new way to do choose your own adventure. There's actually a few different software programs and there's tons of stuff that you can do with it. I'm working on a few projects uh, with it right now. And what you do is you can write a story and then you have these different options and it'll branch off to different possibilities. So this game, Depression Quest, um, you have this story, you are, you start reading about this person's life and it tells you, you are this person, you're dealing with this, you live here, this is, and then there's links also to like, if you want to learn more about your partner or your job or different uh, aspects. And then at the bottom, there are these bars that say, right now you are dealing with depression and this is how you feel. You are not seeing a therapist, you are not taking medication. And you, as you proceed, uh, you start reading about your day. It tells you, this is your day. This is how you're feeling right now. And then when you come up to a choice, it'll give you a number of choices. The genius thing that this game does and how it shows people what it's like to live with depression is that it will give you options like, let's say, hypothetically, you, uh, I don't know, someone invites you to, uh, someone asks you to talk about how you feel, right? And maybe... Maybe you're not feeling depressed today, you know, us, the player. Maybe we're not feeling too depressed today. So we're like, oh, absolutely. I'm totally going to talk to my friend about it, right? And that option is there, but it's crossed out and it's unavailable. You cannot click on it. 
because someone with depression uh, doesn't see that option or does not want to do that. Okay. And sometimes you have a whole list where four or five options seem like reasonable things to do, but they're unavailable to you. The only one available is one that will either prolong your not talking about the issue or not addressing it. And I think it's it, it better than anything else I've ever seen. It shows you how, you know, a lot of people see somebody with depression and they ask questions like, well, why don't you do this? Or why don't you do that? Just do that. And they don't see those options. Those options are not easy. And this game is, again, it's a game. It is not, it is a game in, in the fact that it is, uh, in the idea that it's interactive, but it is not fun. And there's a disclaimer at the beginning, um, you know, that if you, you are someone who has been suicidal or you're not feeling, you know, really well today, you should not play this game. But it's meant to be educational. Um, absolutely recommend this to people who have no idea what depression is uh it is it is powerful wow check that out i was just looking at the website right now and that it, it looks really interesting um i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to check this out you know conrad one of the things i've loved about having Josue on the episode today is um Josue, you're bringing in such a strong video game representation too. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I think that's a little bit of a, of a weakness for Conrad and I and our geek cred is um, I haven't played as much recent stuff as, as I'd like to. So thank you for all these wonderful picks. Any video game questions? I'm a guy. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you so, generally for joining us today. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is this conversation. Well, was, hold was on. Great. We're what? not at the end oh. yet. Oh. One, okay. one thing we usually do is honorable mentions. Does anyone have any honorable oh. mentions they want to shoot out? Yes. I have. I'm limiting mine to two. Let's hear it, Conrad. What do you got? Um, I had What Dreams May Come. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a book by Richard Matheson. And, you know, he is mostly known for the horror genre. And he wrote this book basically about people dealing with the afterlife and fear of death and things like that. And even though his other books like and short, short stories, you may know him from I Am Legend fame. Um, he he said that this is the one that basic people would approach him and want to have conversations with him about this mm. um, and about depression and about um, dealing with death and things like that. And so he said in his head, this was his most successful book because it did start those conversations. And so that was why it was my honorable mention. And then uh, my, also, it's also a major motion picture starring Robbie Williams. It is, but, and, and, you know, the book, I will tell <laughs> you, the book is not, I mean, the book is not, quite as successful I think as some of his other stories but I appreciate his thought process and going into it and the film I thought was was good in some ways but it was super long um like our episode like our episode um and then the other my other honorable mention was uh Vincent and the Doctor which was the Doctor Who episode about Vincent Van Gogh and the literal and figurative demons that that Vincent Van Gogh fights my favorite Doctor Who episode. Interesting. Whoa! I didn't know yep. that. Who's way? Yep. Yep. It's not Blink. No. Wibbly no, no, wobbly, no. timey wimey. Nope. And nope. it is a tearjerker, which is every time. I it cry is every really, time. really a tearjerker. Um, and it wasn't. I mean, I think it is a beautiful episode, but 
I wanted some of this list to be a little bit more uplifting and positive. So I I have uh, the Pandorica opens hanging in my waiting room. Nice. Yep. 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 So uh, there you go. Um, I did. I I had two that I I was gonna bring up, but then I think I think they're relevant. Uh, one is the HBO TV show called In Treatment. Hmm. Um. Yep. This is a show based entirely in therapy, <laughs> right? Uh, the first season is you go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and every day you see him working with a different client. And on Fridays, and this is why I chose it, because I think he's not a great therapist. He's actually, and I've actually been to meetings where they're like, let's, let's pick apart all the horrible things that he did. Okay, great. But it does, I think it does do a lot to uh, enhance the conversation. See that, you know, it, it can just be two people talking and uh, people don't expect that it's, it, that's what it is. And it's, it's not as scary as you might think it is. But the best part is that on Fridays, the therapist goes to, it's essentially supervision, but he's going to his own therapist. And yeah. I like that it humanizes therapists. Like, oh yeah, like, guess what? We go to therapists too. And I've been to therapists that I don't like. It's one of the reasons why I try to be a therapist that I would like. <laughs> right? Um, so, that, so that's in treatment. So it's like not a good example of therapy, but a good conversation starter shows human. Uh, and, and along the same lines, like Sopranos. Uh, in the Sopranos, uh, Tony Soprano, like the mob boss, actually, from episode number one, he starts seeing a therapist. And that's a huge part of the show. And I love the idea of this huge mob boss, somebody that you never expect to go to therapy, is going to therapy and he deals with, you know, his, his friends giving him a hard time about it. But you also see that this therapist has a life and she struggles with giving therapy to, you know, in her, she's, she struggles with her life and she actually goes, he, her own therapist. So I like that that kind of, again, humanizes what therapists are not great therapists, but, uh, <laughs> conversation starters. Nice. couple of HBO picks. Um, I've got a few. I'm going to shoot them out real quickly. Um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I think it gets into anxiety, social anxiety. It also gets into um, what I was talking about, trying to remove memories from your head, not to experience them because they're painful. Um, Perks of Being a Wallflower. Uh, I haven't read the book, but I've seen them film. And I think it touches on a lot of the issues we talked about today. Uh, We've talked about him in our first episode but dean trip something terrible it's a bit of a graphic memoir about his experience and how geek culture really is what saved his life um and my last one that um, people may not have heard about is uh years of the elephant by willie lintout um years of the elephant is a graphic memoir about a father who's also a comic um who lost his son to suicide and it's about his complicated grief process um it's not an easy one to find Uh, my local comic book store had it when amazon.com didn't so it might be hard to find but it's definitely worth a read um those are my honorable mentions so now we can unpause and say thank you Jose for being on the show. Um, we really appreciate it. And I think, um, uh, the perspective you brought as someone who is, um, being such a positive flag bearer of geek therapy and geek culture and how these worlds come together and they help people was just fantastic for us to be, have that on the show. So thank you so much. And uh, not only thank you for having me, but thank you for uh, every single thing that you talked about today was so personal. 
and and those stories are the most powerful and i'm always looking for for those stories that will really move people and i think that every even your top five right they were all somehow related to how they made you feel mm. and 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 so thank you for for being brave enough to to do that and and sharing those stories it was it was great to be a part of it no oh, well, thank you man i appreciate that i um I have found that the community has shown the more honest I am about these experiences. Um, people have only been supportive about it. So I appreciate that. Um, so Jose, where can people find you online and your work online? Yeah. Uh, go to geektherapy.com. There we have a blog. Um, I curate a whole a slew of um, articles that just talk about how geek culture is helping people in different ways, um, all aspects of it. And uh, you also find the Geek Therapy podcast there, where, again, uh, Ali has been on our longest episode ever. <laughs> and now, you and now you're on ours. <laughs> you're on our longest episode ever. Um, and you're also on Twitter. Uh, yep, yep. So Geek Therapy is on Twitter, at Geek Therapy, or you can find me, at Geek Therapist. And Conrad, where can people find you online? I'm on Twitter at Die Prince and also on my zombie podcast, Reanimated. That's reanimatedpodcast.com. And on Twitter, we're Reanimated PCAST. And I am also on Twitter at Olimatu. Um, you can also find me at brainknowsbetter.com where I occasionally write about mental health stuff like this, but often write about science fiction stuff and the psychology of science fiction. So until then, nerdlings, uh, we'll, next week is back to our normal <laughs> schedule programming. We'll be talking about Godzilla. And um, until then, live long and prosper. Indeed. Indeed.